Ready to rock and roll. All right, I'm gonna clap us in. Three, two, one. Welcome to Our Point Forensics podcast on Allocated Space. The podcast is a live conversation about current issues and solutions within the digital forensic and incident response community. We're excited to learn with you about the space from industry leading experts, passionate individuals supporting the DFIR community. And for those of you that don't know us and are just joining, we're a small business headquartered out of Tampa, Florida, and we focus on developing products and solutions for law enforcement, military, and beyond to make digital forensics more accessible. My name is Amy Moles. I'm the CEO and co-founder of ArcPoint Forensics, and I've been supporting the DFIR community for over the decade uh, in defense contracting, as well as the intelligence community before making the leap to establish ArcPoint Forensics with Jared Greenberg. I'll hand it over to Jared. Hey, thanks, Amy. My name is Jared. I supported cyber operations and digital forensics for the past 13 years. And today we're excited to introduce Jason Hogan, um, our guest for today. Jason Hogan is an Army Lieutenant Colonel with 22 years of experience. He earned a commission as an armor officer in 1999, was later nominated for NSA's Junior Officer Cryptologic Career Program, where he served in a variety of signals intelligence, cyberspace, and policy positions. He was forward deployed as the officer in charge of expeditionary access operations, and most recently supported the cyberspace operations integrated planning element out of McDill Air Force Base. Jason, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for sitting down with us. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background? I'm sure there's uh, a lot of people earlier on in their careers that are interested how you went from um, an, an armor commission through all the way up through cyberspace. Yeah, so I started off as a um, armor officer commissioned out of uh, University of Washington in Seattle, uh, go Huskies. Um, I had a degree in sociological deviance. Uh, decided there really wasn't much to do with that besides going to law enforcement. Um, <clears throat> so I joined the army and was in a program it's called branch detail and so they they loan you out to combat arms for the first four years they get you a little uh experience uh being the receiver of information um and then got switched over to intelligence um as a battalion intelligence officer uh ran all intelligence operations in mosul from 0405 and uh worked at the and then after that worked at the national security agency as a senior operations officer. Um, so got to see some of that national level intelligence apparatus, uh, which kind of piqued my interest. And I uh, went up to the National Security Agency, like you mentioned, uh, did five years up there, varying jobs. And then when the Army stood up this new cyber branch in 2014, uh, they decided to uh, switch my branches again for me. Um, it sent me to Texas and then Hawaii to stand up the Army Cyber Detachments in both those locations. And then when I was done suffering in Hawaii and San Antonio, uh, they made it up for me by sending me to Tampa uh, as consolation so I can retire out of Tampa with every other 05 and 06 in the military and live in Tampa when I'm done. That sounds, that sounds really, really harsh. I can't believe they would do that to you. We all make sacrifices for our country. <laughs> So for the people that are listening, Jason is with ArcPoint um, doing that DOD skills program. Um, and we are so very proud to have you a part of our team um, and, and truly honored that you entrusted us to be a part of your journey um, exiting the military. That's um, 22 years is a really good chunk of time. Um, out of that whole experience, what was like your favorite, um, I guess, favorite memory or anything like that? So it's, well, first it's been, yeah, I'm really thankful uh, for ArcPoint to uh, bring me on and uh, trust me um, both in learning and trying to contribute during SkillBridge. Uh, for every military folks thinking about transitioning, make sure you do a SkillBridge program because uh, the civilian world is different uh, than the military. Um, is that something that they push, the SkillBridge program? Or it, is that it, something it, you kind of have to be coached into? So it is an opportunity they make sure everyone knows about and it's just like any other opportunity both civilian and military it's what you make of it um there's some gotcha. folks that just go through the motions you probably don't get a lot out of it or they'll do a skill bridge with something they're familiar with so my primary background is offensive and defensive cyber operations traditional full spectrum cyber operations didn't have a lot of experience with digital forensics uh so uh when when this opportunity came along to learn more about digital forensics and how it li uh, translates into media exploitation and a bunch of other stuff which i have done 
um, it, it felt like good, uncomfortable push uh, for this to be the skill bridge experience. Um, to go back to your question, Amy, um, probably it, it's hard to pinpoint a specific experience. I will say that the thing that I take away uh, from the military uh, was the people. Um, whether the folks I deployed with, folks I've commanded, uh, the people really made it worth uh, getting up every day, doing the long hours, um, seeing them make the same sacrifices that you know you make, um, yeah, whether it's with the family time, deployments, uh, just emotional and, and physical injuries. Uh, the people really made it worthwhile, made it worth coming back to, and seeing some of the younger folks are now you know, sergeant majors of the army and senior leaders and commanders. And you, you knew them as a young specialist and like, I don't know if I want to stay in, I'm going to go off and do these great things, you know? And uh, there's a lot to do in the military besides just, you know, lie in the mud and shoot guns. Um, and there's a lot of ways to give back to your country, even as like a military civilian too. Yeah, so um, Jared and I were talking about this before. Um, the cyber offensive and defensive operations that you were doing. How, is that how, can you kind of describe to us like how the army chooses a career path or how you choose your career path in the army? Um, Cause for myself, I have never served in the military, so I don't know how that works. So um, I'll talk general first and then get into cyber. Cause it just went through a big transition on how we acquisition talent for the cyber branch. Um, so generally speaking, when you go through your commissioning source, it could be West Point or ROTC, uh, you um, put in which branches you're interested in. Branches being like, I wanna be infantry or armor, or intel, signal, um, quartermaster, aviator, uh, as long as your eyes aren't bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and depending on academic scoring, your placement in your class uh, allocations, like how many they can bring in, uh, based on manpower analysis, uh, you are assigned a, a branch out of your commissioning source. Um, then there, there are gates, periods throughout your career, usually at your four-year mark and then eight-year mark. You can decide, hey, I want to put in maybe switch branches. Uh, like we talked about, the Army maximizes a program called Branch Detail um because there are some branches that don't need as many lieutenants they need more senior folks and then, then we want people when they're senior folks to have that combat arms experience especially for a lot of the support roles like um, military intelligence and cyber uh cyber is uh, the army's newest branch and i think a lot of the other services are in the same way um stood up in 2014 uh, and then really started bringing in a talent through what's called a branch transfer that being so all of us that wanted to come into a cyber or were told to come into cyber uh, had to fill out an application, get endorsements from your chain of command, your bosses, and uh, it looked at your past performance. So if you weren't a top performer, if you didn't excel at what you're doing already, and you didn't have a computer background, uh, whether it's computer science or like myself, I had a, a robust signals intelligence background. Uh, specifically digital network intelligence and analysis, uh, those are folks they wanted to bring in uh, to stand up this new branch. Uh, as of a few years ago, we actually started commissioning people straight out of West Point into the cyber branch. So guys straight with computer science degrees, um, real smart, um, wonderful Americans uh, who spend their entire college doing hackathons, programming python they've got the background they got the basic certifications net plus security plus ceh um, and then they can start on and they can actually get onto keyboard and lead folks because they can talk and walk the walk that that, that their folks do um, the army does also have uh, a new program uh, it's a direct commissioning program where even if you didn't go through um, an R Reserve Officer Training Corps or West Point, if you have a computer science degree, um, maybe you had some enlisted time, you're now using GI Bill to go to college. Uh, they do have a direct commissioning program where they can commission you straight into the cyber branch, into the Army, um, and you, you serve for a period of time. Um, and really what we're looking for is software engineers. 
because uh, that's okay. it's, it's that's a skill set that's hard to uh, train uh, some of us older folks in. So there are basically anybody who doesn't join the military right out of like high school or something along those lines and goes to school and gets a computer science degree or software engineering degree, that is an option for them to go into. Okay. Those are absolutely awesome. Um, I was just going to ask about that actually. Like what, um, if you had to go to West Point or ROTC or something along those lines. So that's the normal route. Uh, there are other folks that will go to officer candidate school. Uh, so we do have a fair number of enlisted folks who um, have college degrees. Hmm. Uh, I want to say that in, in my detachments, I probably had three folks with PhDs. And so it is not a typical education background. I think you'd see in the rest of the military. Um, the, the guys in the cyber field are, and gals are super smart, uh, super educated. And really our job is to kind of point them in the right direction and then get out of the way. So what is the most, um, like the biggest misconception about officer school that people are either disappointed about or pleasantly surprised about? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I wasn't really disappointed with much of anything on mine. The, I, I think there are folks that come in the cyber career field uh, thinking that they're just going to be a highly paid person sitting on a keyboard and typing and left alone. And uh, the expectation is that you are an organizational leader. Um, maybe when you're when you're lieutenant captain years, it's a little L and a big T for technical. But as you go higher in rank, less time on keyboard, more time on mentorship and training. And it's a big L and a little T. Uh, so you still hop on. You need to know where your folks are going, but you're managing teams um, that will either are going out and hunting adversaries or teams that are going in and trying to um, uh, strengthen, harden, and hunt for adversaries in our networks. Okay. Yeah, um, I think uh, a lot of individuals, when I speak to them um, who are in the service, they're slowly like, you know, I don't want to be sitting at a desk all day. I don't want to do this. That's why I don't want to go to officer school. I'm like, um, yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily true. <laughs> it's not. There's it, just like everything, right? We talked earlier about opportunities. There are opportunities out there, you know? Yeah. So I think Jared did a similar deal. You know, when I did expeditionary access operations, I had a beard wearing man clothes, um, doing close access exploitation, you know, and, uh, it's definitely wasn't behind a desk. Um, and I was a major at the time. Um, and like I said, as you see, you have to look for those opportunities, take advantage of it and be open, uh, to new things. And a lot of people just, they get in the comfort and they, oh, I'm just going to sit at my desk and that's what you're going to do that. Um, and it goes civilian or military. You got to push yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, for sure. There's definitely a lot of, I mean, there's definitely a lot of desk jobs within the government, but there are those jobs where you like will wake up at two 30 in the morning to get out of bed and go do something because they're just that great. And, yeah. um, yeah, and there are some within cyber as well. Um, certainly within, um, you know, the electronic warfare space, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. You just got, you got to hunt them out and you got to keep asking questions and just keep digging until eventually like you find the right people and the right connections yeah. and, you know, it may take a couple of years, but it's definitely, definitely possible. It goes right back to that reoccurring theme of what Jason already spoke about as the people, yep. people, people, people. <laughs> and it's what it is. It's culture. Um, and I will tell you, unless you've put yourself in financial strain, uh, the money alone is not worth it. It's the culture. You, know, mm -hmm. you need to find good organizations, businesses, companies like ArcPoint, where the culture um, get because that's what gets you through the hard times. That's what gets you through the struggles. The I just got done working till 10 o'clock and I'm waking up two o'clock to go do on a raid and have to be smart enough and put together enough to do some exploitation on whatever media so we can do other targeting. You know, that's the, the people is what gets you through the hard times. Yeah, absolutely. I actually heard um, I am such a weirdo when it comes to certain books that I listen to, but uh, Brene Brown is a author that I follow pretty closely. And um, she was describing a work experience when she was, you know, a, a, like a waitress at the time. Um, and it's interesting when you come across people in high stress environments 
and I just bring this up because I think that our point does this really well as too. Um, everybody just jumps in. So if there's a sugar packet that's dropped on the ground and you have somebody come into the office and say, you know, that's not my job to pick it up, then that's not who we want here. And that's not who you want on right. your team. You want someone who's going to come in and say, yeah, I already worked, you know, eight, nine hours. And I know that there's this problem, but um, I'll be there at five in the morning to start again <laughs> and start at the problem. No, you're absolutely right. You, you, you want problem solvers instead of problem makers, you know, um, and it's about energy. You put out energy, whether it's negative or positive, and that's the energy that other folks take on, uh, especially with um, super smart um, organizations or missions or what do you want to call it? Um, it's it's hard to kind of keep everyone going the right direction, and a lot of times it's it's you'll sit there and you'll push your head against a solution, whether it's let's say you're programming and just the the coding isn't working quite right. Sometimes it just takes a fresh pair of eyes. Like how many times have you written a paper? Oh, it looks great. You give it off and like, oh, this isn't even English. And then you relook <laughs> at it freshly, or they read it to you. It's like that that doesn't make any sense. Computers, you know, exactly uh, the same way. You know, you it, sometimes it takes you know, what we used to call like a brain trust. Um, there's another really good book I recommend to everyone out there. It's called Creativity Inc. Um, it's written by the folks of, who started Pixar. And it's oh. like, how do you promote creativity? Uh, how do you promote vision? Um, and how do you manage a really smart and asset skill set without stifling all those you know, things that you really hired them on, which is to have that vision and have be creative? It's a great book just in general. It's actually pretty easy reading. What's one of the tips that stuck with you from that book that just. So uh, really uh, the thing that I took away is communicating a vision um, because everyone needs to know where you're going. What's not necessarily like in five years, we're going to be, but Hey, you know, you have some short-term goals, you have some long-term goals and they're attainable, right? They're pushing the envelope, but they're still attainable. They're realistic. And everyone, you know, everyone, especially if it's a smaller organization, needs to know what those milestones are. Where are we all going to? Because it's important that everyone has a stake in the success of the business, right, or the mission. Um, it, it's because you're going to have that pride, that ownership. The If I feel like uh, part of my identity is my organization, well, and if the organization does well, I'm going to feel good, I'm going to do well organization doesn't do well, I'm not going to feel good. I feel like I let the company down. Mm -hmm. The key is you have to have a culture that fosters that. Um, so that not that your, your ego and who you are, I am, you know, whatever company, but it's just that I have a personal investment in this company, my organization doing well because it cares about me. I feel like I'm part of the organization, not just an employee of said organization. And it's military or civilian. It's interesting. It's interesting how it goes back and forth between no matter what industry you're in, mm -hmm. how true that is. Um, yeah. Okay. Here's a question. Here's a, here's a concept that I heard recently. So talking about like goals and planning and like communicating that, but more specifically like personal life goals and like kind of life planning, like how you plan out your career. Um, the, what I was, the concept was driving versus surfing where um, before like, if you're trying to drive your career, like you're planning everything out and you're just like, this is how it's going to go. And I'm the driver and go forward with that versus surfing the concept. Like you kind of have to go with the waves. Like a lot of life is luck and a lot of it is just kind of things may fall into place, but you're still going out there and paddling doing the work and trying to right. catch the waves. Um, no, how you're, have you seen that play out in, in your career versus, you know, so I think what you're you spot on. That, that's exactly right. It's a little bit of what we kind of say, separate Gumby, you know, where you just kind of kind of be flexible. So, you know, a, um, a good friend of mine, you know, as we're kind of looking at our careers back in the day, he, he brought up the point of you need to de define what is success. So whether it's your personal life, your business life, your military career, whatever it might be, you need to define success. And that's going to change, you know, because at some point, you're either going to switch jobs, switch roles, you're going to move, whatever it might be. You need to find success and say, if I reach this thing, however I get there, if I get to this end state, be successful. Um, and, and the other part of it is, and, is 
your career um, and where you go isn't going to be exactly what you thought. I never thought that after being in the military for 22 years that I'd be ready at that point to retire. You know, I always figured I'm going to do my 30 years. I'm going to be some intel officer somewhere sitting, you know, outside Fort Meade, retiring as an 06, wherever it might be. Um, and I never thought that I'd have you know, the personal struggles uh, throughout the last 22 years with a couple of divorces and stuff. Not, no one wants that. Um, but it all, all those things happen, I think, for a reason. You know, um, and, it, it, uh, and, and all those things, whether it was good or bad, it got me to being here in Tampa, uh, working with a, a great company like ArcPoint, uh, meeting, you know, more folks, adding to my family. Um, I mean, it's 70 some odd degrees outside and it's January. Definitely doesn't suck. It does not suck. <laughs> and, um, and real quickly, it, it brings me up, thanks to the story um, I just, I heard, and it was this Chinese farmer. And um, so he, he, some folks came over to his house and he's like, hey, you know, I saw your, I saw your, your, your horse or your, 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 your donkey, whatever escaped is not here. And he's, that's really bad luck. He said, maybe, you know, and then next day, guess what? Donkey comes back and he, there's three other donkeys tagging along. And I guess he made some donkey friends while he's out. So now he's got four donkeys. And I was like, oh, that's really good luck. You got four donkeys to work now. He's like, maybe. Um, and then next day his son's out working with the new donkeys and breaks his leg. And of course, all the villagers come up and like, oh, that's some really bad luck. And he's like, well, maybe. Um, cause then the next day after that, you know, the Chinese army comes through and say, Hey, we're about to go to war. We're conscripting folks. He sees that his son has a broken leg. All right, well, we're not going to take your son cause he can't fight. And they go off and they find other kids out of the village, you know, young men and women. And so villagers, of course, they come back up like they always do getting his business say, Oh, that's, it's really lucky. That's really good stuff. He's like, well, maybe, you know, and, and I guess the moral of the story is, is that whether it's something good or bad or something a career path goes a different way that you planned on, it can be good or it could be bad, but you don't know. You just got to kind of go with the flow and make, make, take advantage of the opportunities um, that's presented to you. Yeah. Um, I actually had this kind of bite me in the butt. Um, but I won't say how many years ago it was. Um, I was working at FBI in a contract and I put my notice in. And the position I was going to, um, I transitioned over there and found myself unemployed within two months of starting this new job because the contracting funding came through. And this is probably the first time in my life I have ever been like actually unemployed, <laughs> like um, not having a backup plan whatsoever. Um, and it it worked out because I actually ended up with NMEC um, and meeting some amazing people and doing some amazing work there on some very interesting cases and getting a lot of experience that I just, you know, wasn't expecting. Um, it wasn't even something that was even on my radar. It was just like, it yep. kind of felt like a happy mistake. Um, yeah. And again, going back to people, um, the people that I had met at FBI, um, that was who had reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, I have this position coming available. Are you interested? It's like, I can't believe like the National Media Exploitation Center is wanting me to go work. Yeah. <laughs> there. That was and if that cool. didn't happen, if what yeah. turned out initially as a negative thing, you know, with that contract closing down, if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't have gone to NMIC appreciated the importance of digital forensics and how it's important uh, for law enforcement, media exploitation and gotten where you are now. Yeah. I don't know if our point would be a thing if that, if yeah. that didn't happen. So mm -hmm. thank God for unemployment. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Well, one of the things I, I did want to want to ask about, because when I was deployed, um, there were a lot of military guys that we would work with, and there were a few of them that were really interested in forensics. They were doing something completely different. Like they would come by and just basically drop stuff off for us because they got, you know, a task with like delivery yeah. or whatever. They were interested in like how they were going to transition their career into forensics. And so some of them eventually would actually come over and sit in the lab space with us and like start learning and doing some of that work. Um, so when you basically rode from Mosul to Fort Meade, um, you got nominated for this program. Was that something that you were pushing for to do because you knew you wanted to transition for that? Or is this an opportunity that came up and you're like, oh yeah, this is the time I, I want to jump on that. How, how did that transition work? 
So I actually started back at 05, to be honest with you, uh, when I was the intel officer up in um, in Mosul. And so I had half of Mosul um, going to Kurdistan. And we would come, when we would do um, targeted raids or whatever, we'd always come across uh, media, whether it's computers, CDs at the time, right? All kinds of digital media. And besides having two or three of my guys just sitting, you know, at their desk for the next 24 hours, looking at, you know, literally just watching the film or going through and clicking on every single picture, you know, we soon realized that there's just the, the, there's so much information out there and there's so much in all those uh, information. And you, you would not think that, you know, guys in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, a little more modern, you know, that they wouldn't have computers and stuff. They do. You know, may not be connected to internet, but they're they well understand it. And and uh, computer technology, digital networks, digital information is out there. And you know, we don't call it digital forensics; we call it media exploitation, right? Medex. And it was something that, you know, if you're, you know, even when I was a two, I was a signals intel guy by background. Um, and you look at either. Uh, data in, in motion, you're trying to capture data that's going back and forth, intercepting it, right? Kind of what you kind of see in the movies or data at rest. And that's just data sitting on a hard drive, sitting somewhere. And a lot of times, especially for both the offensive and defensive cyber operations realm, there's key things on those media that we need to be able to gain access to a network or an end station or wherever it might be, whether it can be a certain hash, uh, uh, crypto, uh, keys, passwords, logins, uh, network configuration files, you know, all those, all that data, sometimes you can't get to over in the network, right? Sometimes it resides on, on, on the computers themselves. So when I saw all that and saw the opportunities out there, happened to be that the G2 at the time, General Alexander had come out and we were kind of talking through how we maximize uh, computer uh, in technology uh, to optimize intelligence. And so as a push of going to cloud-based um, networks, we had some antiquated uh, computer systems at the time that was shut down at three o'clock every night to data dump and sync with the main server. And that's right when we're doing our raids and doing our post intel, you know. So um, when I was talking with him about it, he had mentioned that he was heading up to be the director of the NSA and that he had this internship program, it's a joint DOD internship program, and, and thought I should apply. Uh, well, the army disagreed, said I had to get company command time first. I wouldn't be promotable. Um, so went to Texas, did that, and then went up and did NSA, um, uh, internship later on. Uh, but that, that's kind of where the bug started was in Mosul in 05. Um, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so talking about cyberspace versus or cyber operations versus digital forensics, do you feel like there's a gap because the two are interconnected and dependent? Uh, but they seem like um, almost different disciplines. And uh, you were talking about needing some of that digital forensics evidence, like the keys and um, stuff that you can grab off dead box type of systems and applying that to offensive type of cyber operations. Do you feel like there's a gap between digital forensics and cyber that hasn't quite yet been bridged? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and I, I don't know if it's due to, um, I don't think it's due to, lack of appreciation uh, from the full spectrum cyber operations side to the digital forensics or media exploitation side. What I, I think it's just a more of a capacity piece of it, uh, especially within the military. We've been just growing up our offensive uh, cyber operations teams, teams that do hacking, right, in, in plain English. And then our defensive cyber operations teams that just really uh, try and prevent malicious actors uh, to get into our networks and obviously protect our secrets the when you know i think within cyber command and army cyber operations in particular uh, we we still look at a lot of other organizations to do that media exploitation for us um i know like within intelligence securities command they we have some organizations that do uh, media exploitation uh through human enabled operations um, and I think a lot of the services are getting to the point where we have the capacity uh, to start standing up. And I know the Army has, has some new organizations kind of going after it um, to bridge the gap um, like we we're talking about. Uh, because like we like I previously mentioned, we can't always 
get to where we're going uh, just by pure signals intelligence and streaming on, on net operations. Sometimes we require human enabled, you know, or a thumb drive to be put in uh, that can do a callback and open the door from the inside. It's like breaking into a house, you know, sometimes it, you got to get someone inside to open the door. There's not always a way in from the outside. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, a question on your opinion on uh, private companies doing cyber operations. This is a conversation that I had years back um, where, and they were actually looking at, you know, possibly some policy changes within the government where you could, because right now it's all military law enforcement that is basically authorized to do actual like return cyber operations as a, you know, kind of defensive type of thing. Uh, but they're talking about letting private companies or creating policy that would allow private companies to then basically like go after that. Have you seen any of that talks of that? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so I would just say that anything I'm about to say is my personal opinion, not the opinion of the United States Army, Army Cyber Command or any of those organizations. Right. Um, I think it's 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 um, the, the purpose and the intent is what really matters. Right. Um, because it's a fine line beside be, between what organizations will call or what the cyber command will call, for example, a defensive cyber operations response action, a DCORA. Uh, for example, um, you, you, let's see, you have some uh, APT that um, comes in or cyber actor uh, that uh, gains entry to your network, uh, whether it's for malicious intent or um, or criminal, right? Uh, an organization, um, especially a civilian business or a company, has all the right to go in their network, identify where they can, clean their network, sweep it out, reharden, and then potentially, and this is where it gets tricky, like, okay, well then, does that company then have the right to uh, backstream up to where the, the threat actor or vector came from and prevent them from attacking again by diminishing their capability to do either it's it could be just uh, uh espionage you know just cyber espionage or an industri industry espionage um you know yeah. or even putting some kind of um uh dropper or something um to just gain access to see what's going on because they might not they know they're getting attacked but they don't know what's going on behind you yeah. know that in that attacker space but just dropping something on their network that then gets collected that yeah. then allows them to, you know, basically start collecting intelligence on their attacker. That's another yeah. type of, you know, scenario that is, is little less damaging than actually going out and like, you know, dropping a server off the network. Right. Well, and, and there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of dual use stuff, right? And, you know, if you look through different servers in Eastern European, Eastern Europe or other locations, you'll see that, you know, they, they may not even realize that their server is a pitch point. Uh, for some APT actor. So are you going to take down a server that also is host to, uh, I don't know, some, you know, hotel or something in, in Berlin? No, you're not going to. Um, so yeah, and for really those who don't know, a, a pitch point is just basically like um, uh, a threat actor will, you know, tunnel their way through various networks and they'll compromise a host that's owned by somebody else. And then they'll use that host to basically launch their attacks and either obfuscate who they are or just exactly. you know, use that as a barrier to to protect themselves. Yeah, you know, and, and I think you hit on a good point. Um, it still comes to capacity. There's only a certain number of teams within Department of Defense or even Homeland Security, um, the Department, uh, 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 wow, um, brain fart. justice. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but there's only so much capacity to go around and they're working on uh, nation state, non nation state proxy organizations, uh, not really criminal stuff, right? So um, it, it's where you have to define the question of do businesses have a right to defend themselves? Are they going to be just, you know, receiving to and shoring and hardening up? And it's the, it's the, it's the castle to cannon, you know, analogy back in the day. Oh, you have, the, you have this little village, they build a little wall. Well, you build a bigger cannon. You have to build a bigger wall. Well, you build a bigger cannon. You build a bigger wall. Eventually, you shoot something back over to blow up the cannon, right? Um, otherwise, you're just building and building it so complex because everything has, is a cost benefit, right? You can shore up your network and make it so secure that it's almost unusable, 
yeah. uh, because you have to go through so many gateways or exit points. Your your firewalls are so robust. Uh, your protocols in place for every five minutes, you have to re-put in your 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 second key authentication. You know, um, so I think it will be a point where at least in partnership, uh, maybe not to, to do anything uh, destructive in nature. Uh, but to prevent for future attacks, I, I think that will happen at some point. Um, but again, that's just my personal opinion, not the opinion of the United States government, Army Cyber Command, Cybercom itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting concept um, because, you know, the, of course, the government is trying to do their best, but it is a capacity issue and they are interested for sure in their own problems, protecting their own networks. And then, of course, trying to support all the companies you know, that might be getting attacked, um, there is only so much capacity. And then if you've got, you know, like, a, a you know, a major company like IBM or whoever that, you know, might be able to do something and resolve their problem in three months versus rely on the government yeah. that might take, you know, nine months to a year and a half to get something done. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting argument and definitely an interesting concept. And there are some really good articles out there. Uh, from General Nakasone, who's uh, Director of NSA and Cyber Command Director or Commander, uh, talking about the need to partner with industry, partner with civilian mm -hmm. organizations. Yeah, uh, and that means different things to different folks, obviously. Yeah, and it could be solutions could be varying in degrees for sure, because it doesn't have to be something where you're like, oh, we're going to hack back and we're going to take them off the network and just like blow them away. No, it could be like you get access to their network and you see what's going on. Now you know who they are and now you can send them a letter of like cease and desist or, mm -hmm. you know, put it in the press or do something like take some other action to be like, Hey, we know this is you guys. Like the gig is up. Please stop. Yeah. And a lot of us too is just information sharing. You know, if you see uh, uh, APTs going after network A and uh, where the government want to make sure all the other like businesses or organizations, federal state know about it. And so they can take preventive action mm -hmm. if we know what the exploit is that they take advantage of to gain network, gain access to the network. I've just laughed because I would imagine that if Jared was taking anyone down, he would approach someone. The gig is up. The gig is up. <laughs> yeah. This is professional way of notifying them. That's right. Hey, you. The gig, the is, gig up. is up. Oh my gosh. Well, it's, gosh, we, I feel like we talked through a lot of like different challenges and stuff like that. Um, but in circling back to like the cyber operations and digital forensics space, um, what do you think the biggest challenges are that are going to be in the future that we need to worry about? Um, so I would say a lot of it is speeding up um, the information we get off of, whether it's a, a raid or let's say a detainee, and this can go from law enforcement to military operations. In a lot of places, it's hand in hand, you know, FBI type stuff. It's <clears throat> getting the information off of those, that digital media in a timely manner. Um, and really getting that information in a way where you don't have to have a lot of highly trained folks for it. We talked about capacity earlier, right? And we talked about, we, we're, I know like in, in, in the Army Cyber Command, we put a lot of money into some of our folks, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of training. And there's only so many to go around. So any type you have a, a tool or a capability that can maximize um, folks, a little bit of training familiarity. I mean, every, every high schooler now understands computers. They've, always, they've all played with it. They know how to use Windows or a Mac operating system, right? They know how to look at stuff. Um, so whenever we have um, devices or a capability that can speed that up or do some of the work for us, whether it's through um, machine learning or AI, and can automate some of those things and then just give you, here's the information you're looking for. Here's a bunch of nonsense. You don't need it. Here's what you really need, uh, especially from a um, consumer of intelligence and information. That's huge. Um, because yeah. there's only going to be some more and more data out there, more and more stuff to pilfer through. Um, and, and then the, the folks that need that, whether again, like it's for law enforcement side or military side, uh, the faster we can get it in the more, most accurate way is key. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where the whole idea of ATRO was birthed from is like more data, less time. How do we get you the results that you need in a quicker shorter time frame so yeah um, 
Well, and, 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 the, and what's really intriguing about the Atrio, not to give like a little shameless plug about, <laughs> you know, the, your guys' device is it, it matters to on because everything's so mobile now, you know, everyone's mm -hmm. moving around and, and uh, like we hit on, you'll find computers or digital media out in the middle of nowhere, you know, like literally some guy could hypothetically be living in a motorhome at some state park or national park. Hmm. And let's say you're doing uh you just go and have a, a, a little knock on the door to have a discussion. You want to be able to, Hey, we're going to look through that guy's stuff to even see if this is a valid hit or a valid, you know, targeting. If you have the capacity to do it right there and something that can go in your backpack and it doesn't just do the imaging, it does imaging exploitation all in one. Um, that's key um, because there's a lot of solutions out there and it's not just um, digital forensics. Uh, but in, in general, there's a lot of solutions that are, it's a hardware solution or it's a software solution. Not a lot are both um, where it, it's a, a full um, kit, right? That's a, really a standalone. It provides everything you need. And uh, so that's what's really, I mean, from a guy who consumes and has used all kinds of different uh, products and softwares and everything else the last, you know, umpteen years, um, you make it easier. You make it so I can't break it if I drop it, which I will. Um, <laughs> and it's something that I can, within a matter of an hour or two, I can train one of my junior soldiers on how to use. Um, that's a win in my book. Yeah, that guy that you're describing is living in an RV in a state park. Sounds real suspicious. Yeah, yeah definitely would trust him. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's weird. <laughs> Jared, do you know anything about that? <laughs> mm -mm. Nope. What are you talking about? <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's going to be a constant challenge of trying to figure out, you know, human capital and the amount of data that's coming in. It's not it's not going to slow down anytime soon. You know, so. it's, it's growing exponentially. Yeah. So, I mean, if 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 you're out there listening to this podcast, you're still on because you have nothing else to do. Um, your, your company or your organization, uh, just like the military. You have to be growing as fast with both capacity and capability uh, that the data and the complexity of data and encryption is growing. And if you don't, you will fall behind and it'll cost you more to catch up than it does yeah. to stay on, on pace. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of encryption, oh, boy. I have a video for you. <laughs> yeah. All so right. let's introduce what Experts Reacts is. Yeah, so uh, we like to pull clips of either cyber operations or digital forensics or cell phone tracing or something like that and um, just watch it through with people in the industry. And um, so I've got a couple of clips queued up and all right, let's, let's get it. into it. Yeah, not, not all the clips are bad. I mean, there's probably we'll probably eventually show some of that are like spot on. Fantastic doing work right. in Hollywood. Yeah, we know most of them are cringeworthy. <laughs> Transfer node call Pepper, Virginia. Yeah, sure, good luck. Wait, I guess I should do I should do an introduction for this. Like what yeah. is that um, scene setter? Yeah. Okay, so this is from the movie Sneakers. It's a classic uh, kind of hacking crypto movie. And basically they have this device that allows them to decrypt all of the government's, you know, secret communications, banking, all of this stuff. And they're like, you know, trying to figure out what it does and um, how to protect it and get it back, I guess, to the government. So um, this is where the scene they go through and they figure out like how they can decrypt all the stuff. Instant encryption. Yeah. Oops, wrong one. Access. What about this Federal Reserve Transfer Node, Culpeper, Virginia? Yeah, sure. Good luck. Nine hundred billion a day goes through there. That'll do. Punch it in. You won't get in. It's encrypted. What do you think he was punching in there? I don't know, but the music is great. Mother, <laughs> that last contact. <laughs> I love how it just scrambles it. Yeah. Suspenseful. Anybody want to shut down the Federal Reserve? Hmm. Huh. Hey, hey, don't wait, screw wait, around wait. with that thing. Come on. 
Carl. It'd be great if that's how decryption worked. National power. I know. You don't have one of those at your house? No. No. I think this is still in the world of magic. There we come. That's what it looks like, too, the uh, encryption. Rolling. And it just fades into usable data when you get the key right. His reaction. Wow. The images. Yeah. Both you got control system. They're all using the same same type of encryption, and they're all connected to the same system. Yeah, because I remember. Well, to be I, fair, this was in this was in the nineties, so. Well, in right? in the two thousands, working in government oh, space, I remember how well all the networks worked together. So this makes oh, sense. Perfectly you know, like this, it went right? back so far. I mean, they work perfectly together now. Yeah. Hollywood could do what we Janet still can't do in the government. To solve those problems without the key, and he hardwired it into that chip. Man, what if they change the key? Then that whole box is just completely worthless. Like all that effort. Turn it off. Yeah. Ooh, this is an intense scene, though. Can't look at it anymore. All right. So we do have a rating scale, right? So we have sector zero through five, right? All right. Uh, zero being horrible, terrible, can't watch it ever again. Remove it from my memory. Five being, wow, that was fantastic. Could not demonstrate it better than myself. So I will give it a four. A four. And I'll tell you why. Good. Okay. Right? So a unnamed organization uh had a bunch of big wigs come through i want to say this is in 2012 2013 right in the heyday of doing these cyber things and uh this this big wig some stars on their chest came through and it's like i want to see what you guys do and so it was a bunch like that it was a bunch of numbers and coding and and i think it was javascript at the time just a bunch of scripting and we're like right sir we're about to take down this bad guy's server click done and we're sw swimming through the network. And he's like, well, that was anticlimactic. I mean, I don't understand all what you did. So unnamed organization spent the next like two weeks coming up with something similar where it was a fictitious, shall we call it, where you're swimming through the network and you actually can see this, you know, this move through these different pivot points. It's all three-dimensional and this this imagery, right? And all right, so we're about to do it. And then you see the thing kind of go and disappear on the screen, you know, just so because they could understand that better because of like Hollywood like this, completely unrealistic. Um, Did you but, play music though, as it was happening as well? No, I, I feel like they missed the, they, I don't know who, uh, they missed the, that, uh, that level of sophistication. Um, oh man. Yeah. That's what really made that scene is like the intense yeah, music in the yeah. background. All right. So four, Jared. All right, let me uh, cue this one up. Oh, you're not going to rate this one? Oh, rating it, yes. Yeah, you got to rate it. Oh, man. Okay, well, I really like that they were using a hardware device. Um, they That's packed those keys yeah. in there. And then with the electrodes, they were, like, accessing the key by touching the right, uh, I don't know, register pinout. I don't know. So, But that's cool. I appreciate that. Um and there's a lot you can do with hardware. So, yeah, I'll give it a four, four out of five. There you go. I mean, I feel yeah. like given the time that they were doing it, it's probably semi-realistic because let's think of, like, how many people were actually on the Internet in, like, the early 80s, 90s. So. Not a lot. I'm sure Jared has that stat somewhere in the back of his brain. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. All right. So what's the next one? Okay, oh, this is also so, from Sneakers. Yeah, I got a couple couple sneakers, and then I we're have some our favorite designated survivor. Gosh, so, you're obsessed. It's, yeah, it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, okay, so this is also sneakers. This is further down the line, and this is where they're they're trying to negotiate and exchange, like getting the box back. They found themselves in some hot water. The government's after them. Somebody else is after them, and they're trying to get themselves out of trouble by like reaching out to a contact at NSA to try to broker some kind of exchange for, you know, to take the heat off. And they're, they're very technical. 
in their like their whole operation here. So we make it our way. Unload the van. We got these band wideners here, Wes. What do you want them? Jared, this looks like your lab. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. not far off. Nice apartment. Well. I'm going to bounce this call through nine different relay stations throughout the world and off two satellites. It'll be the hardest trace they've ever heard. Two mm -hmm. satellites. This will measure no. stress in the voice of Not the really that hard to line. trace back. Exactly. Okay. Graph, for today's purposes, it'll do. Unbelievable. Yeah. Let's do it. A, a polygraph over the phone. Yeah. Just relying on voice. Totally legit. It's going to work so well. <laughs> That's how a polygraph works, right? Did I do my yeah. wrong? Okay. <laughs> Hi, Director Robson. Uh, National Security Agency, Director of Operations, please. Let's go straight to the Director of Operations. Uh, I'm sorry, I forget the number. Uh, could I please have Director of Operations? It's very important. Try research. Give me research. It's an emergency. I need an extension. At this point, I'm sure that no red flags would be thrown. They would be like, oh, yeah, this caller's legit. That person needs to be fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have had to, I was out doing a job and I did have to call the security operations center because it was like a weekend and it was an emergency. Um, and I just needed to be literally be put in touch with somebody. And they were so unhelpful. They, they wouldn't do anything for me. No. True. Cute. We've got the satellite in Tokyo. These guys are good. They're so fast. I need to know if you're someone who can make a deal. Go on. Can you deal? Yes. True. True. You're across transcom. You've got about 20 seconds, Bishop. If I come in with what I know, can you guarantee my safety? Do you have the item? No. 15 seconds. Can you guarantee my safety? Where is the item? Can you guarantee my safety? Five seconds. Yes, I can guarantee your safety. Fish, he's lying. Liar! Hang up, they've almost got us. He's lying! <laughs> Hang up, Fish! He's lying, he's lying! Hang up! Oh, intense. So close. And so precise, too. Like, when that dot's moving across the screen, it's like, you know, yeah. a centimeter from from getting busted. There's, I'm sure there's no latency there. Kind of I think if you looked up, you'd see it running through the power lines. Yeah, I think I think all us older folks have probably actually connected to the internet that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, I thought the the polygraph over the phone was was hilarious. Oh, priceless! Yeah, yeah, Great. because those things are so ridiculous in real life, anyways. Yeah, I mean, th they definitely have their place for sure, but just true or not true, over the phone is. I don't know what what you're even doing. It's there. like the the main actress there when she just says "unbelievable." It is a thousand percent unbelievable. Yeah. So what are we gonna what are we gonna rate it? What's the scale? So I'm gonna give it a two plus three somewhere in there. Uh, the believability um, was uh, a little much, a little much to swallow. Yeah, I agree. Two being like cringeworthy. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a bit a bit over the top. Yeah, music still go, on point though. And music was there. I'm gonna go with the one though because I've called for help and they there's no. Jared's <laughs> like I actually needed help no and nobody's helping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It wasn't even a big ask. It was just like. I can't remember specifically what the what the question was, but there's, I'm there's just nothing. I'm just impressed that they knew what I haven't known for working with the NSA since 2006, um, that it had a front-facing public directory that you could just call up and they would connect you anywhere within the building. Yeah, that seems realistic too. Yeah. yeah. All right, this clip is back from designated survivor. Um, <laughs> they are in the White House and they are suddenly under a cyber attack. And they, their incident response is just on point. Mm. It's like a power surge. Backup generators kick on any minute. Network's down. Yeah, I got nothing. White House line is dead. 
This isn't Old good. cell phones aren't working. Same network, by the way. From the grid. No power surge. Looks like we got a real-time intrusion into the White House network. I'm on Fort Meade. NSA thinks it's just a sniffer. Some kid poking around our electrical grid. NSA's wrong. This is no sniffer. Hey, Jovitter. That's the old office. This is no sniffer. I'm trying. It won't work. Out. Yeah, mine's out too, sir. Nothing. Mr. President, I need you to step away from your computer. Man, they killed all my computers. Mmm. The flicker of death. The White House has just been hacked. Take everything. Hmm. There's a lot of chaos going on there. I mean, they were on it though. Like, they did not skip a beat. As soon as like the power went out, they're like. This is no sniffer. This is an intrusion. Like, right. On it. Everybody's running around grabbing laptops. Cell phones aren't working because obviously the cell networks mm -hmm. are, you know, connected to multiple the, intrusions. Right. And everybody's got their Normal. cell phone. Everybody's going down. Actually, I don't know. Maybe in the West <laughs> Wing they do. They probably do all have cell phones in the West Wing. So what what are we what are we rating this one? So I'm gonna give it a four. I, I, I got I got I was excited. I felt the blood flowing. It was good music. The you know the energy felt good. You know they were responding to the intrusion. The backup generators kicked on. They secured all the mobile devices and laptops in case there was someone on the inside. Went through a wireless exploitation or vulnerability. They were spot on. Excellent, excellent work. But they just like shut the laptops, and there's no like. Faraday bags or anything that they're dropping these things into, or just like I'm sure that was in the next scene. Oh, right, mm. right, yeah, 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 sure. They ain't got time for parody bags, they just snap the laptop shut. It's like, yeah. give me that. Well, that turns it off. Well, they were already off. Did you see the, the screen? Like, yeah, we had oh, a flicker, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had yeah. flicker of death. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, they had all the exploits just like freaking just nuked everything. But it was only just a kid messing around, poking around the network. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that a two because the only good thing that came out of that, well, the acting. I mean, the, the, okay, the effort, that was great. But yeah. the only thing that came out of that was the line that this is not a sniffer. That's that, the part. That definitely. That's did what made it a two. <laughs> yeah. This is no sniffer. <laughs> All right. All right, Amy. I have one more. This one is for you. I live under a rock. Uh, so it's designated survivor, and oh, also it's later on. <laughs> but the guy basically, like, I don't know that he necessarily hacks into the um, into Cipernet, but he gets on Cipernet, and then he creates basically a cat card, just like that for the oh, person that's I trying to break in. I definitely want to see this scene. So, oh, yeah. this, this is, is like, this is gonna be. Yeah. Can we hire this, is, this person? This is, this is the the cat card process and how it how it goes in real life, you know. I wish it would go that easily because it's taken me sometimes months. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. Especially, especially the zipper tokens that you have to use now. Oh, I know. Yeah. So the frustrating thing, the only reason why Jared is making fun of me about this is because um, when I was working at NMEC, I would have to facilitate all this stuff and people would make fun of me about how intense I was about when they <laughs> needed to show up at the cat card office. It's like, you need to be there at 650, wait for them to open the door, but like immediately get in there, sign it, all this, like sign in and then do it. And the frustrating <laughs> thing is I always had the worst luck because I would show up. And then everything would be going fine. There'd be like five people ahead of me. They get to me like, oh, sorry, the system went down. You're going to have to come back. Yeah. But we, we're only open Tuesdays and Thursdays. Exactly. Between the hours of two and three. And they're gone for lunch. And, and we also have a 30-minute lunch break in between there. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. So this is the nefarious actor. So this is also from Designated Survivor, obviously. Yeah. Well, you got his fake surface. I was gonna say you can't do anything on the surface. <laughs> Plug that right in the zipper net. Oh, no issues, or is this no. like a? Although I wouldn't be surprised if this was actually how it's done in some places. I think he's got all that memorized. Oh, here's this clown. 
Oh, I like yeah. the uh, security validation, you know. He's monitoring Cipernet. He's all over it. Oh, yeah. Murder. It's Chuck. Get to Hannah's office now. We all know this is not how any of this happens. Access card generated just like that. What is it's like a five minute pit stop, you know? Okay, remember the hack that was used to deliver the machine? I wish. Mail? Yeah, that attack destroyed half the computers on the West Wing. Also left behind a serious digital footprint. Now, working under the assumption that our trader was responsible for that hack as well, I've been keeping an eye out for that same code in case it was used again. Our trader just accessed Zippernet. The Pentagon? What for? I don't know. He's out in the mainframes. Looks like he just wanted to create an ID. An ID for who? Oh, this guy. I was going to say, is he going to ask to take his sunglasses off? Mm -hmm. oh, he did get that. Yeah, that's that good. was good. That was good. Access card works. That okay. easy to get in the Pentagon. Oh, no. Oh, also, music spot on on all these yeah. clips. I felt like my yeah. heartbeat was racing with that one. It's really getting into it. No, I yeah, wish it so was that easy. Has that been your experience, like getting uh, access cards made? It's just like, you know, you stop off in the side <laughs> office, you plug in, boom, 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 you're on Cipernet, and then somebody on the great. other side you of the know, city can every every section can have a designated like sipper or cat card maker guy or gal and it just went by that quick it absolutely there's got to be a way for them to modernize that process this is just the most i hate I, jared is trying to trigger me right now <laughs> <laughs> not even bringing this up because it's so it's such a frustrating process like yeah. why why is it like that and Let's not even talk about the fact that, you know, there's like three systems that you, like locations that you can go to and the systems yeah. are always going up and down to do them. And also it takes like at least three months to get the paperwork signed. And All part of the experience. Yeah. And yeah. that comes from, I'm sure from like it being such a global network and like yeah. you have to get these things made in just really weird places and they've got really like old tech or it's a strange one-off tech that they've got to work with and so the compatibility i'm sure is just a nightmare for that system absolutely there's got to be a better way yeah let's make but one i like <laughs> that from the original hack the guy got the digital fingerprint a serious if you didn't catch that a serious digital fingerprint and then he you know he actually was like using that to monitor network traffic or access or something. I'm not sure how that that digital yeah. signature correlates to that guy like logging in from a surface, but absolutely. Yeah, or something interesting. You could use the same code to do multiple things. Yeah, you know, multiple purposes. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll give that a three, three and a half for, yeah. you know, you you pulled the, the digital footprint um or the, you know created this we'll assume that he created a signature from whatever the exploit was and then he was using that yep. to monitor his system. well maybe he pulled it because like the first episode of the podcast we did he was also logged on probably with the same cringe cringy surface um maybe maybe they had something there during the first yep. attack yeah, yeah but hey that's i'm with you it's a three to a four uh just with the you know, the thought process of one great network administrator, security guy who's actually monitoring the network. On so point. that's good. By uh, himself, though, in, in like a closet. <laughs> so that's a little realistic, right? Because this, that's, is, that's this is the sock. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is the janitor's closet. <laughs> well, you know, it is post big attack and busy survivor. Maybe that's all they had left. Maybe. You don't know. Maybe. Had to set up an emergency facility yeah. somewhere. Yeah. In somebody's apartment. Hannah's exactly. apartment, apparently. Yep. Good. Well, um, Jared, I'm just going to remove your little block here. Oh, sorry. Bye. Disconnected. See ya.
I'm also uh, reporting you for abuse. Well, I left the serious <laughs> digital footprint, so I don't go away easily. That's right. Yep. It just use your, you know, your magic magic little hardware box to <laughs> purge it from the system yes, immediately. <laughs> um jason thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast really appreciate it um for those of you that are listening any references any materials that jason has referenced throughout the podcast we'll make sure that that is in the notes down there and as usual if you like the video please subscribe great thanks for having me this is a lot of fun and uh, excited to see what's next for our point awesome thank you so much nice. thank you see ya, see ya.